Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verses 16 through 21. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O God, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 10, verse 16. Not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, First Prez. God bless you. What a, what a privilege it is for me to stand here in this hallowed space, our church home, and share another message with you from God's word. And I think I kind of lied to you, you know, Pastor Lai, last week when I said we're starting chapter 11 uh, this Sunday, today. Well, the fact of the matter is I totally forgot that we had a little bit more to go in chapter 10. There are about four or five more verses that I want you to reflect on with me. And I'm calling today's message, What Keeps People From Believing? I don't know if you've ever asked that question before. What is it that's keeping my son or my daughter or my friends, all these people that I know, I've talked with them about Jesus, I've been praying for them, and yet they're not coming to Christ? What's up with that? as our children like to say. So I want to begin by telling you what happened to me last Wednesday evening. Last Wednesday evening, I was with, on a Zoom call with a group of folks from our church who gather just about every other Wednesday to pray. We had our prayer gathering at 7 p.m. every other Wednesday evening. And if it sounds like a like a promotion or an ad, yes it is. I actually would love for you to join us if you've never joined us before. But here's what I want you to know. It was a powerful time. It was a moving time. It was a very intense time of prayer because of the topic for that evening. We were praying for people who are yet to believe. And so we were praying for our sons and our daughters, our brothers and sisters, our husbands and our wives, our nieces and our nephews, our grandkids, our friends and our frenemies. Is there such a word as a frenemy? An enemy? We were praying for our neighbors. We prayed for our church, our community. We prayed for the city of Chicago. And God was just with us 
in that very powerful and emotional time. And I felt like in that prayer time, we were owning the words of the Apostle Paul, where he says in Romans 10 and verse 1, that our heart's desire and prayer to God for all these people is that they would be saved. And that was the focus. And we took to heart the attitude and the words of Jesus when he saw the crowds in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, he was moved with compassion. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion because of their physical and their spiritual condition. And then he told the disciples, and this is pretty amazing, friends. He told the disciples, I want you to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that God would send out laborers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. And that was a blessed time last week as we prayed. And I'll say more about the role of prayer in this regard. And then last Sunday, as we were together sharing God's word from Romans 10, we reflected on what we call the, that, those four links, those four links in the evangelism chain, that in order for people to believe in Jesus, they must hear about Jesus. In order for people to hear about Jesus, someone must share the message of the gospel with them. And for that person to actually share the gospel, that person needs to know, that's you and me, we need to know that God has sent us to do this kind of ministry in the, in the harvest. And then the result, Paul says, is that when people hear the message and they believe the message, they will call on the Lord who is able to save them. That's the evangelism chain. But then Paul raises a dilemma, a very familiar dilemma, and Paul says, even when the evangelism chain is working and it is unbroken and all the conditions are met, Paul says in verse 16, but not all have obeyed the good news. And the question is why? And he quotes from Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed our message? Who has believed our message? Who has believed? And the Bible tells us that when Jesus came to his own, his own rejected him. His own people did not receive him. And the question is why? And what is true for Paul's day is true for us today. My heart breaks as a pastor when I hear about a spouse or a parent who would say, I raised my children in the church. I sent them off to college and now they tell me they're atheists and they don't believe anymore. Or my heart breaks when a spouse says, my husband or my wife was once part of our church. We joined the church together and now they have turned away and they've rejected the way of Christ. How can that be? And I think this is in part Paul's concern Really, through chapters 9, 10, and 11, but particularly as we close out the book, this is Paul's concern in chapter 10. And to answer Paul's own question, he explores two excuses and one central reason that I think has strong resonance for us today. So that's what I want to talk to you about. The two excuses that Paul says people may give as to why they don't believe and the central reason as to why people don't believe. So here are the two excuses, the two possible excuses. So Paul says, well, maybe it is that they didn't hear. Maybe they didn't hear. And so going back to the evangelism chain, he says, so 
faith comes from hearing what is heard. And what is heard comes through the word of Christ. But then he says, but I ask, have they not heard? That's the question. Survey says, indeed they have. Their voice has gone out all over the earth and their words to the end, to the ends of the world. And I, I had to wonder who is, who is their voice. And I realized that what Paul was doing, he was quoting from Psalm 19 and verse 4. Pretty, pretty strange, right? Psalm 19 and verse 4, he uses that psalm to substantiate his affirmative. Their voice has gone out into all the world, their words to the ends of the world. And what Paul is saying is that when God created the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the valleys and the animals and the fishes, and he created all of this wonderful world, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament. It declares the, 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 the wonderful message of God day after day, night after night. It pours forth speech. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, Paul says that we're without excuse because even the, even the heavens say something about this invisible God. And so he says we are without excuse. Excuse, And that's what I think Paul is, is, is riffing on here in Psalm 19, that there is this unmistakable, all-pervasive message that goes out all over the world that comes to us through creation. And he says in the same way, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, has been spread all over the world as they knew it, the Roman world. In other words, he says there's no excuse. They've heard it. It's not that they didn't hear if we had more time, we could talk about, but pastor, what about truly those people who have never really heard? And I get that all the time. How can a good God judge people who have never really heard? And uh, there are ways to approach that question, but that's not for today. Here's the second excuse that's in verse 19. Paul says, well, maybe they didn't understand. Paul says, again, I ask. And this matches what he said at the beginning of verse 18, where he says, but I ask, did they not really hear? Now he says, again, I ask, is it possible that they didn't understand? And after demonstrating that indeed his people heard, he now wants to, more, wants to probe more deeply into what it means to really hear and understand. I think what Paul is doing, and this is a warning for all of us, that it is possible it is possible to be exposed to the gospel. It's possible to listen to Christian radio, the Christian music, come to church, whether at Christmas and Easter, uh, watch videos like these and hear the, the presentation of the gospel. It is possible to be exposed to the gospel and not understand it intellectually, not understand it at a very deep place. And I know that's possible, but here Paul quickly dismisses that possibility by quoting Deuteronomy 32 and verse 21. And he wants to show that, well, not only, that only the Gentiles did not understand. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 21. Only the Gentiles did not understand the character of God's holiness. And we could give them a pass 
We could say, well, you know, the Gentiles didn't really understand God's holiness. They didn't understand their need for righteousness. They didn't understand that God is an anti-idol God and you, you God rejects idols. They didn't understand the promise of forgiveness. They didn't understand that within the tabernacle there was already this implicit offer and promise of forgiveness if the worshiper would bring that perfect sacrifice and have the priests offer it, that their sins could be forgiven. So we could say that the Gentiles could be excused, but Paul says, not my people. So here's what he says. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 21. This is God speaking through Moses. They, speaking of his people, made me jealous with what is no God. They provoked me with their idols. So here's what God says. So I will make them jealous with what is no people and provoke them with a foolish nation. So God is saying, look, you guys are going to reject me. Well, I'm going to turn to a group of people who aren't even looking for me, who don't even understand me, and I'm going to call them to myself. And in doing that, it's going to provoke jealousy and envy in you. And boy, does Paul go deep into that in, in Romans 11. So he says, look, these excuses are baseless. It's not because they haven't heard. It's not because they didn't understand. There is still a more central reason. So the two excuses and now the central reason. There is one overriding reason why Paul's community is yet to believe. And here's what he does. He quotes Isaiah 65 and verse 2. I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Now let me just hit the pause button there for a second because I hope you realize what Paul is doing. Paul, in trying to understand why his people do not believe and aren't believing and are rejecting the Messiah, he goes all the way back 700 years before his letter to these Christians and Jews in Rome. 700 years before, Paul is saying, this has been going on for quite some time. God sent Isaiah. God sent Jeremiah. God sent the prophets. And the people of Israel still turned away from him. So can you picture this? God actively holding out his hands to them like a parent inviting a child to come home like a parent holding out his or her hands, offering a hug and say, come, come, I want to give you a big hug. I want to give you a big kiss. I want, to, I want to welcome you. This is how Paul and Isaiah are imaging God, that God has opened up his arms and is stretching out his arms to his people. And God has been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years to his people, continually stretching out his arms all day long, pleading with them to return. But the people did not respond. In fact, I love what Isaiah says. He said they're following their own devices. They've got their own religion all figured out, and God's just sort of an add-on. And so their response and you can read Jesus' parables of the vineyard when the vineyard owner turned the vineyard over to the care of these, these workers. And then the vineyard owner now says, it's time for me to, to get my fruit. And so he sends the workers. And each time they send the workers, they beat the workers up. 
And God said, okay, I'm going to send my son. And when the son arrived, the people running the vineyard said, well, this is the heir. Let's kill him. And that's a parable Jesus tells to say to his people, to say to the people of Israel, to say to the religious leaders that you have been negative, you have been resistant, you have been recalcitrant, you have been dismissive, you've been determined to follow your own devices. And this is the central reason to this day why people are yet to believe. And you could feel the dismay of God and you can feel the grief of God, but you can also feel the patience of God and the long-suffering nature of God and the mercy of God and the kindness of God. That God says, it's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And, and, and a day will come, of course, a day will come when that invitation will come to an end. The bridegroom will come and the bride will rise to meet him and the doors will be shut and then it will be too late. But until that time, God still holds his hands out and he's pleading, won't you come home? But I also think as I turn the corner on this sermon, that there might be some other reasons that Paul didn't specifically get into. And I want to quickly add these reasons as to why people are yet to believe. Another reason could be spiritual blindness, where Paul says in Romans, in, in Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. So if you can picture that, there's a spiritual blindness as to why people don't believe, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's a reason for that. Blindness. But there's another reason I would quickly give to you, and I call it satanic deception, which sounds a lot like what we just read, but Jesus gives the, gives the parable of the sower and the seeds, where the sower goes out and the seed is the word of God and the sower sows the word. And the sower says the ones on the path are those who heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so that's another reason why some people don't believe. They hear the word, but the minute they're able to process the word, the devil says, nope, nope, I'll take that. And he snatches the word away and prevents them from believing and from being saved. And maybe a third reason why people don't believe, it could be because as individuals, we like our own devices. We like to be in control. And I'm thinking here of the story in Luke 18 where a certain ruler comes to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to, 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 to have eternal life, to inherit eternal life? And that's a wonderful question. That's the kind of question I would love for someone to just hand me on a platter every day. We wish everyone, we wish everyone would be as specific about their need for Christ. And what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't make, make it easier, easy for him. He says, you know the commandments. You, you don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the rich ruler replied, well, Lord, I have good news for you. I have kept all these things since my youth. And when Jesus heard this and Jesus went for the jugular, he said, there is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own, distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, 
he became sad. Why? The Bible says he was very rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard. And you could almost see tears coming in Jesus' eyes. You could hear the regret in Jesus' words. How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. But this is not just about people who are rich. This is about people who want to maintain control. You see, to become a believer, you have to give it up. To become a believer, you have to get off the throne of your life and say, Jesus, you are in control. You sit on the throne of my life. To become a believer, you have to take the keys to your life, the control to your life, and give the keys to Jesus and say, Jesus, you drive the car from now on. I'll go wherever you go. I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And some people are simply not ready to do that. They're not ready to give up life as they know it for life in the kingdom of God. And so they are yet to believe. And maybe there's one other reason, and I must ask you if I step on your toes, forgive me, because I want you to know when I say this, I'm putting myself right in the center of this. There is possibly one other reason why people are yet to believe, and it's because of you, and it's because of me, and our flawed witness. Our flawed witness around issues of poverty, and justice, and racial and ethnic concerns. And we know historically the church's failure to be a good witness during these times in the world and in our nation regarding slavery. Jesus says of the church, there comes a time when you can lose your saltiness. There comes a time when we end up hiding our light when we shouldn't. We live just like everyone else does. We politicize the gospel and we align ourselves more, more closely with a political party than we do with the kingdom of God. Some of us know the platform of political party A or political party B, and we don't know the platform and the fundamentals of what the kingdom of God is all about. Some of us believe that if we could just get the right person elected, we're going to bring in the kingdom, and we fail to understand God's agenda for how the kingdom operates. We align so closely with a political party that we discourage others. And they say, look, I'm not into politics. I want to follow Jesus. And if that's what you're about, I don't want to follow your Jesus. Those are some of the reasons why people are yet to believe. And I know in sharing this message with you this morning that I'm speaking to two kinds of people. I'm speaking to people who are concerned, who are not concerned, they're not concerned that people are yet to believe. But I'm also speaking to people who are concerned. And we have these two groups in, our, in all kinds of churches. I know that they are in our church. If you're not concerned about people who are lost, you need to ask yourself why. You need to ask yourself, do I have the mind and the heart of Christ? When Jesus saw the crowds, remember what, what, what was recorded when he saw the crowds, he had compassion, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he told the disciples to pray. Do you have the urgency? When Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night comes when no one will be able to work and a time will come when we won't be able to work in the harvest. Do you have that urgency? 
Do you have the heart of Jesus? We read that Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives. He looked over at the city of Jerusalem and he wept for the people of Jerusalem because he said they are yet to see and understand the one who is in their midst who will bring them peace. So if you're not moved, if you're not concerned about the lost, then my brothers and sisters, you need to check your spiritual temperature. So I'm not running for political office. And I suppose if I were running for political office, I would be wanting to say what you want me to say so that you can vote for me. But last time I checked, I'm not running for political office. And what I say here is not to wound anyone, but I'm here to challenge you. If you don't have a heart, a concern that the people living around you, your family members, could die and go into eternity without Jesus, you've got to check your spiritual temperature. But I also know I'm speaking to people who are concerned about those who are yet to believe. People who are yet to believe. And if I'm speaking to you, you're saying, well, pastor, what do I do? I'm concerned about my mother. I'm concerned about my father. I'm concerned about my siblings. I'm concerned about my neighbors, my friends, my friends at, in high school, my friends in college, people at work. What do I do? And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to keep praying. That's what Jesus told us to do. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send people out. And sometimes when you start praying to the Lord of the harvest, God's going to send you. Keep praying. I want you to keep loving because just because somebody doesn't believe the way you believe, that's not a time to cut them off. That is a time to draw even closer to them so they can sense the love of Christ in you. Love. The world will know we're Christians because of our love. I want you to keep on serving because evangelism is not just words. It's words and deeds. That's what Jesus did. He came speaking the kingdom, but then he demonstrated the power of the kingdom. And I want you to keep serving. And I also want you to keep reaching, keep taking risks, keep sharing the gospel. Because you don't know, you're sharing the gospel could be that spark that moves the person in a direction to begin looking to Jesus. And I also want you then to keep believing Keep believing that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. I want you to keep believing that God is able to save to the uttermost, that God is the one who does the saving. And finally, I want you to hold the leaders and the pastors and the members of our church, hold us to account that we will never be a church that gives up on the gospel. Scott McKnight, in his commentary on Romans, says that churches that are concerned about the harvest, that are concerned about people who are yet to believe, he says those churches are a dying breed. Isn't that sad? He said the tie between, between sharing the gospel and the need for people to be saved is being severed in many churches and denominations. And he gives the reason. He says it's because a lot of our churches are caving in to the flood of postmodern malaise and we're afraid of seeming intolerant. And so he says many churches have lost their missionary zeal. He says too many churches spend far too much on themselves and far too little on the mission of the kingdom of God. We so easily turn inward 
And I'm telling you as a pastor, close to 90% of the complaints that I get from members of churches, this is the third church I've pastored. So it's not just this church. It's about the things that we want should be happening in our little crib. We turn inward. We become preoccupied with our problems instead of being preoccupied with the potential of what it means to be a gospel-centered church and the potential of bringing glory to God by showing our community that light has come. We're a city set on a hill, and God has put us here for one central reason, to reach men and women and boys and girls with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I urge you, if you're not there yet, check your temperature. If you're there, keep on keeping on with praying and loving and serving and reaching and sharing and believing because God's using you and he wants to use all of us, all of us. He sent all of us into this mission and I pray you'll hear the call and you will go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.